<laughs> I just want to give you a report. Uh, first of all, we had a couple of things that people reported to me this week. We've been pay- praying for Rachel. She's had she's very young, had chronic back pain, and uh, you know, really, um, just in just in terrible terrible pain for for a long time, most of her life. She had a had a, a treatment on on uh, last. Um, I think it was last Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And uh, they said it would take, you know, uh, weeks to actually uh, begin to work. And she said in, in the first day, the first day she she got relief. And she said the joy of the Lord just came all over her and said it was unbelievable. Another thing that we've been praying for uh, was uh, Jessica. Jessica's baby was breech. And she's, she was close. She's close. I mean, like, she looks like she's going to pop any moment she, she might pop. And um, uh, she was close. And we've been praying that that baby would get in right position. And that baby got in right position this week. We want to give the Lord praise for that. And we need a lot more enthusiasm this morning. We give the Lord praise for that. Thank you for, there we go. I know it's hot. Uh, uh, we are uh, in the process of, as you guys know, we're close to, to starting here. And the reason I mentioned the Shrine Club is we'll be doing kids in the modulars out here, and they're close to being ready to go. And uh, Karis will be meeting out there. Bat Creek will be meeting during the week. At some point, we'll have to we'll be we'll be revamping the outside of these four walls here. But uh, at some point, we'll have to abandon the inside, and we're going to go right down to the Shrine Club, which is about the same size room. And uh, our kids will be here. We'll be there. We'll be carting you back and forth. We'll probably get some golf carts. There's plenty of parking down there as well, though. So it's going to be an interesting time. It's going to be a fun time. Can't wait to see what the Lord does. This is going to turn into uh, a sanctuary that will hold 520-ish, something like that. So that's going to be that's going to be exciting to to move into move into one service, and uh, and uh, it's going to be fun to see what God does in this next season. So this morning, I want to thank. Those that are watching online, we have over 900 people subscribed to our podcast that watch every week. And uh, if you're interested in Thrive Groups, you can go to Church Center, uh, download that app, download the Eastside Church app. You can possibly, if you're working, you can can actually get involved with Eastside Church and find different ways that you can get involved with a Thrive Group, maybe meet during the week. You can connect that way. We hope you do. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our series. We're going to talk about Jesus, our counselor, wisdom, and direction. We're trying to get right theology, right thinking about who God is. And uh, this morning, we just want to talk about uh, Jesus, uh, the one who gives us direction. And I've got a story uh, that, that we're going to go through. It's the story of David. That's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you've got your Bibles already open there, if not, go ahead and open there. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew. Jesus said that, uh, that we, being his sheep, we being believers, could hear his voice and could follow him. Now, you know, <laughs> there are so many people who uh, today who, who make fun of that. Uh, even a, a large portion of the church would, would tell you that Jesus doesn't speak anymore, that it's just, it's just the Bible and, and, and that's the end. But 
I can't read the Bible and come to that conclusion. It's impossible for me to read the Bible and come to that conclusion because Jesus said, you know, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be in conversation with you. Can you imagine being in a relationship with somebody and it be a one-sided conversation? Is all you did was talk. Too often times, that's what prayer is really like. We talk too much and don't listen enough. Don't get enough instruction. But Jesus said this. He said, my sheep know my voice and they, and they follow me. Uh, he, he, he uses the word and oftentimes he uses the word and it never contradicts the word. But the image that he gave us was that his yoke was easy and his burden was light. As, as you follow me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And today in our culture, our communicative culture, we, we, we're not really in a farming culture unless you live where I do, and that's in Locust. Then it becomes more farming culture. But here in the Charlotte area, that, that's kind of foreign. And so to get the picture, a yoke is, you know, it's, it's similar to a bit, except it yokes two ox together, and he used to pull the plow with, that, with, that, uh, with those oxen. And what they would do is they'd put a mature oxen on the major part of the yoke, and that mature oxen would, would teach a young buck how to walk. The young buck really wasn't doing much. It was light on him because most of the weight was on the mature oxen, and he would be doing the thing, get kind of in a training mode. And Jesus said, that's what it's like to follow me. Put on my yoke. I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to show you the way. And, uh, and how he does that is he, he, he speaks to us. He talks to us, and we're going to see that here in Scripture. But as I describe that, I can't help but think that there's a lot of people who say, man, Pastor, you, you say it's easy and it's, and it's light and, and all that kind of stuff, but that's not the way it really seems to me. It really seems like a heavyweight boxing match. It, it seems like a fight to me. And if, and if I think about it, I have to think that there are many of us, many people that are fighting for their marriages, many people that are fighting to keep from getting a divorce. There, there, there are a lot of people that are fighting to pay their bills. There's, there's a lot of people fighting just to finish what they started, you know, to finish school, high school, finish college. And I'm fighting to do that. It feels like a fight. There's a lot of us that are fighting for promotion at work. You know, we're, we're, we're fighting to get ahead. We're fighting to get ahead in our business or small business or whatever. There's a lot of people that are fighting to learn how to raise kids. You know, sometimes it feels like a fight to raise kids. I got, I got way too many kids and not enough time, you know. There's a lot of people that are fighting for their health. I mean, we just talked about Rachel, but there's a lot of people. We hear about it all the time. We get prayer requests in online about people that are fighting for their health. And, and the thing about life is that life really, when it fights, it doesn't fight fair. Life just doesn't fight fair. One thing after another seems to come. It just seems to pile up. You know, I had a testimony from Dr. Joe not long ago, and, and you know, he's got this book that he just wrote, and he was on Sid Roth, The Supernatural. You know, he was on that show, and they required him to get this book together, and he's trying to do all this stuff. And at the same time as, you know, this was happening, that was happening, his daddy was having health problems. They were all in the hospital. His, his, uh, his daughter-in-law was having pregnancy. I mean, there was just stuff happening like crazy, it just seemed to pile up. And I asked him one day, I said, how's it going? He said, man, 
It seems to be piling up because life just isn't fair, and that's the way it is. It seems like that once it starts, it just there's a piling on that happens. And I think oftentimes when we sit with the suicide rate going up the way it is, that people are at the brink of just, they just want to give up. And as believers, and believers, that that's, that's really shouldn't even be an option to us because we should be walking a life, even when life is not fair, even when life is hard, we have to understand that if we'll follow Christ and His presence is with us, then, then we're successful, we're victorious. We, we see that story after story after story that happens, we see the presence of God actually bringing victory. So, so we got to learn how to fight. What's really interesting is that it seems like, especially in the church, I, I say especially, I don't know if that's really especially, but in crucial times in our life when things seem like they're going the worst, that's when people abandon us. When things are going real bad, it seems like <laughs> you know, they start piling up. <laughs> you look around and say, where'd everybody go? And you feel like you're, you feel like now I'm going through this all by myself. And the truth of the matter is, the church for years has, has you know, they've killed their wounded and eaten them. You know, it's just been, it's been that we just haven't done a very good job of, of picking each other up and making sure that everybody comes along with us. Which is the whole intent of the church is to rally around each other and help each other along, but and certainly not abandon each other. So sometimes it feels like we're fighting all by ourselves. It seems like when our backs against the wall, that people disappear. And the truth of the matter is, when our backs against the wall, we'd really better know how to fight. When your backs against the wall, you 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 need to know how to fight. And the thing about it is, when, when our back's against the wall, what we usually do, this is just, now you tell me, this might be just me. But what we usually do is just start beating ourselves up. When our back gets against the wall, we start beating ourselves up and saying, this is why my back's against the wall. You know, it's almost like <laughs> we beat ourselves up. And, and, and it's not a time to beat yourself up. It's a time to begin to encourage yourself. You've you got to begin to encourage yourself. You've got to remind yourself of what the Word says. The Word says that we should have hope in what it promises to produce. And it says about hope is that hope is not something that you can see. Hope is something that you can't see, but you know it's going to happen. Because God said it's going to happen. So we have to encourage ourselves with the Word because it reminds us that there's hope. And I want to go over this story. That brings us to a story of, of where David is, and it, and it kind of ties into all of this. And it's a remarkable story. I read it the other day, and uh, it just it blew me away of how it ties into where God has us in this, in this growing period. The reason I say that is, is, you know, we have no idea sometimes what's, what's, what's the next step. You know, we go, wow, what's the next step? I don't know what, you know, we prayed yesterday at the meeting with all these transitions and how all this is going to work. You know, Lord, just... Just give us vision, give us unity, and help us communicate it well. And we're going to do that. You just pay attention. Make sure you're on the website. Make sure you're reading your emails. The Eastside Church happenings are going to be the things that are communicating what we do. You need to read them because there might be valuable information of where we're even meeting in future weeks. So make sure that you, that you do that. But David had no idea what was coming, and you're going to see that in just a minute. So let's read it. With no further ado, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1 through 8. It says this, Now 
When David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag attacked uh, and invaded the south and Ziglag attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. In other words, David's out doing battle. David's out with his army. Now, you have to understand that these are, these are men that have aligned themselves with David and not Saul. Saul is king of Israel. David has been anointed king for about 10 years, but he's out, he's out running from Saul because Saul's trying to kill him because he's jealous. And all these men are with David. They've been out doing battle, and they come back, and their, their homes have been destroyed and burned. And their women and their children have been taken captive. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. And they wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, thank you for a regular name, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. I'm going to stop right there. You know, your boss, your boss at work, and those that are in authority, when anything happens that goes negative, what always happens is it always comes down to the boss. It's always the boss's fault. There's always an attack on the boss. And so this is what I want you to be aware of. When, when things, all hell is breaking loose at work, you be good to your boss. And if you're a boss, say thank you, pastor, right now. <laughs> because, because this is where David is. D David discovers that all these men that are sided with him that have that have not taken uh, sides with Saul, but have, have come with him, they, they've begun to have a conversation because their wives and kids got stolen. They're gonna, it's got to be David's fault. It's got to be David's fault. So they're going to stone David. They're going to stone him. It says, because the soul of all the people were grieved. They came to this conclusion. And then David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Now, what I want you to see about this is th there's, this, there's this picture of David, and I, I want you to understand that David knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly that he has authority, and he knows he's a priest. Because an ephod is actually the priestly garment. And so he tells the priest, you go get the priestly garment and you bring them to me. And he puts on his... So what I'm saying is, David knows who he is. And it says, but, and it says that, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord, God. And then David asked the priest to bring that to him. And David inquired of the Lord. He said, 
Shall I pursue the truth? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered him. <laughs> say that with me. And the Lord, and he, God, say it with me. And he, God, answered him. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now listen. This actual Hebrew word actually means that, it, it, you know, it, in his heart, there was communication in the heart. It doesn't necessarily mean an audible voice. When we hear about David, read about those things, we think, well, he must have heard an audible voice. That's not what the word means. Now, one of the reasons that the church is so anti-God speaks today is because so many people get that wrong. There are, there are people who do horrendous, horrible unholy, ungodly things in the name of God. And they do it because they've heard voices. And so, and so we build this fence around this idea that God can speak today because we're scared of the mismanagement of that that it can have. God is never going to contradict His Word. He's always going to have the attitude of Scripture it's always going to have love, kindness, patience. It's always going to have those things. It's always going to line up, and it's never going to contradict the Word of God. But this is what I want you to see. Wait a minute. All right. I'm out at battle. I come home. My house is burned to the ground. My wife is gone. My kids are gone. Of course I'm going to go after them. No. The reason I want to bring that up is because it's terribly important to know that we have authority. We have authority because we're sons and daughters of God. We have authority because Jesus went and he took the keys from the kingdom. But just because we have authority don't mean that we can just act on our own. There is a relationship with God that must be maintained that will actually give us wisdom and direction to, to carry out the task that, that's at hand. And so David asked the Lord, Can I, should I go get them? And we're going to get to all this, but there's some very important things. Man, this is a heart issue. This, is, this has no arrogance on it. There's no pride on it. There's no mismanaged confidence that shouldn't be on it. He says to the Lord, should I go? And he's waiting on the response. And if you'll read the chapter before, it says about David that he'd already made a decision to do exactly what the word of the Lord was. So, so you say to yourself, well, I, I you know, I don't care what God said. I'd just go. I mean, seriously. Sometimes that's, that's what we do. As if God isn't capable of somehow bringing restoration and reconciliation through the circumstance better than we can. It's almost as if, if you don't tell me to go, God, I'm going to put my confidence in somebody but you. There's only one right answer here, God. And there's this communication with the Lord that we, we must understand because, because he's full of wisdom. Now, David writes in Psalm 119, he writes this, Lord, your word is a lamp to guide my feet. 
See, he understands. And, and a light for my path. I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. I have suffered much, O oh Lord. Restore my life. How did he suffer? He suffered much because he did it his own daggone way. He was determined he was going to do it his own way, and he did it. And the Lord restored him. He says, Lord, I've suffered a lot. Restore my life again as you promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. He says again in Psalm 92, oh, Lord, you're great. How great are your works? Your thoughts are very deep, very deep. You know, <laughs> why is it that we think somehow we're going to come to an understanding of the depth and the riches of the wisdom of God? You know, doesn't it take a lot of arrogance to think that we're actually going to figure all that out? Isaiah says it like this. <laughs> I don't even know if we can use this now. It's August. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, Jesus. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jeremiah says it like this. Great is in counsel and mighty indeed whose eyes are up open to all the ways of the children of man. God already knows, great in counsel, mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. He is a rewarder of what we do. Isaiah 28 says this, Listen to me, listen. And pay close attention. Does a farmer always plow and never sow? Remember last week we talked about sometimes we go to the garden, we pull out the weeds, and we pull out the weeds in our life, but we never pull it up by the roots enough to get it away from the garden. We just pull them up and leave them there, and they, they replant themselves. And we, we're tilling the same ground over and over. And this, this particular verse right here said, does a farmer always plow and never sow? And the answer is, of course he doesn't. Is he forever cultivating the soil and never planting? No, he's got to plant the word. Does he not finally plant his seeds? Black cumin, cumin, wheat, barley, and emmer wheat, each in its proper way and each in its proper place. The farmer knows just what to do, for God has given him understanding. A heavy sledge is never used to thresh black cumin. Why? Because God has given him the understanding that it's just beaten with a light stick. A threshing well is never rolled on cumin. Instead, it's beaten lightly with a flail. Grain for bread is easily crushed, so it doesn't keep on, he, uh, he doesn't keep on pounding it. He threshes it under the wheels of a cart, but he doesn't pulverize it. Listen to what he says. The Lord of heaven's army is, as, is a wonderful teacher, and he gives the farmer great wisdom. There's, there's, just, there's this idea that, that, that we've been just given authority, and we just got to go do it. And, and I just want to tell you, 
that you have been given authority. And you really need to come to understand what that means. David said, I know I'm king. I know I am the anointed. I know I'm the Lord's precious one. I know I'm a priest. Go get the ephod. Go get it. Bring it. Put it on. When he puts it on his priest, he, he inquires of the Lord. So in our authority, we've got to inquire upon the Lord. We've got to do that when our backs are to the wall when we're fighting, but we also need to do that with the small things. We need to inquire of the Lord. We need to understand that authority is not a pass to move out on our own. That we're in relationship with Jesus. And he, he built it and intended it that way. And so he says here, he says here that David strengthened himself. I just want to say this. There's going to be a lot of times. There's going to be a lot of times that you're going to have to strengthen yourself. You're just going to, you're just going to have to do it. Because I love you. I'm your pastor. Man, I, there, I, I, you can, there's nobody pulling for you more. But I also realize I can't do anything. I, I, can, I, can, I can tell you the truth. You can come get counseling, and, and I can go over the Word of God. But until you're willing to believe it and then actually do it, you see, David had already decided and already said, I've already said this, I've already proclaimed this, I'm going to do your word. I'm going to read it, I'm going to know it, I'm going to do it. And he didn't go moving out on his own. Even when he knew it, even when it was in his heart, he knew that he needed to inquire of God, and he did that. Another thing that we see from this is that David could never, ever see the full picture. David never could see the full picture. And listen, there's so many people that I know of said, I'm going to follow God, but I just, I just need to see the picture. I just, I just need to get vision. I, I need to see what he wants. I mean, what does he want? I mean, how does he want it to work? But we do all these things thinking, man, I need to know more. And if I knew more, I could be more confident in following God. But, but we just never know because what you... If you read between the lines here, David didn't see the enemy coming or he never left camp. He, he'd have, if he had vision, he'd have never left the camp because he'd have known that they were coming. Because if you'll read before this, David is the one who attacked them first. And then they rebuttaled and came after him and took everything. And he was out fighting somebody else when they came into the camp and burned it. But he didn't see him coming. He certainly didn't see the people that loved him and had said, David, hey, we're going to follow you. We're with you. We're part of you. We're family. We're, you know, we're in this together saying, we're going to, y'all want to stone him? Y'all want to kill him? He never would have seen that coming. And when he did, when he was faced with it, he had nobody to strengthen him. And there may be times in life that you're, gonna, you're not going to have anybody but yourself. I love the fact that we say, uh, commanded our soul to praise the Lord. At some point, you've got to say, 
Mind, thinking, line up. Emotions, line up. I'm going to praise the Lord. You praise the Lord, oh my soul. You praise the Lord. That is, that is working yourself into a place where you say, you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to do this even though I don't feel like it. I know I need to align myself with your word, and that's what I'm going to do. So David, he didn't see that. Now let me just tell you this, man. The thing that you don't see, you read 30 and you read 30, you, you see all this going on, but what you don't see is that David was anointed king 10 years earlier. The, the prophet of the Lord comes out and anoints with oil and proclaims him king. Saul's been trying to kill him for 10 years, chasing him around. That's why David's got his own army. So he's out here running around, hiding in caves, doing all this kind of stuff, saying, Lord, why are my enemies prospering? Why is this? He wrote all these psalms in those conditions. God, why are my enemies prospering and I'm struggling? Why is that happening? He's writing all that. He's doing all that. And Saul's still king, throwing spears at him, trying to kill him. David's trying to figure this out. But he knows and he determines in his heart, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And he never would. He always honored Saul. But he had no idea. He had no idea that what God did was God exposed this enemy. And not only did he expose this enemy, but he got David to a place of dependence upon him, and then he sent him out to demolish this enemy and get back everything that was taken, right? So that's going on over here, and that's the left flank. On the right flank, Saul's getting his behind kicked and dies. So, so God is preparing all this. There's a, there's a leader in Saul's army who rallies the troops and comes to David and says, we're with you, David. He unites the whole thing. When it looks like God's trying to bring division, what he's doing is bringing unity, and he's multiplying, and he's actually bringing the whole thing to a place that David could never see. Finally, David was going to be crowned king. David didn't see any of this happening. All he saw was his wife's being stolen, his kids being stolen, and his, his friends turning against him. And it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. There's some of us in the room that need to learn how to fight. We've got to learn how to fight when our backs are against the wall. And you don't fight in a worldly way. You fight the spiritual. David depended on the word and the wisdom of the Lord. He said, go, and he went, and he lost nothing. David's focus was the path that God made, not the path that David could do. He, he made a covenant with the word and with the Lord about the word, and then he served the Lord in that word and, 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 and got success. You know, one of the things you pull from David is he wanted the truth. He was after the truth. He, he gave up his right to be right for the word of God. And what the word and the Lord said, that's what he did. That's what he did. He didn't order his life after feeling and emotion. He, he ordered his life after truth. Jesus says this. In Matthew twenty two twenty nine, 29, he says it to the church leaders. They had this way of thinking about the kingdom. And Jesus says, you know, you're making a mistake. And your mistake is this. 
You don't know the Scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. You know, I don't know that we've ever been in a time in the culture of the United States of America, if the church doesn't awaken, that we're going to lose the nation that we know. There's, there's not a time in the history of a nation, I believe, that if the church doesn't awaken, that we're going to lose this nation as we know it. And there's only so much we can do. But in Scripture, in Scripture, in Revelation, this is what it says. It says, in Revelation, it says, return to your first love. It says, listen, church, you've got a reputation of being popular. But I tell you, you're dead. Repent and return to your first love, which was Jesus and a passion and a love for Jesus. And the Word, Jesus is the Word, and the Word became flesh. There's this, there's this truth that we have to understand that the Word is Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so as we get understanding of the character and the nature of God through Scripture, we have to understand this Word. John chapter 4 says this. 1 John chapter 4 says this. This is how you know you love me. This is how you know you love me, that you keep my word. Not know it, but keep it. Jesus is saying here, you, you make the mistake because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Until the church awakens, everybody with me, until the word comes alive, until we awaken to the word of God, we're never going to get victory. It's impossible to get victory without the Word of God. And, and this, is a, this is something that the Lord just wants me to say. Unless the church awakens, we're in trouble. What's it awakening to? It has to awaken to the love for the Word of God. This is not a religious act. This was born out of love. It says, I love you, Jesus. I want to know you, Lord. Lord, help me in your Word. I, I, will, I, I love for your Word. It's the bread of life. I, I've got to have it. The church must awaken. This is what the Revelation says. If you don't awaken to that, I'm going to remove, remove you from the scenario. I'm going to take you out. I need people who love my word and are willing to do it and who make up their mind they're going to do so before they get their backs to the wall. Before the hard times come. Then in the good times, you're committed to the word. In the bad times, you're committed to the word. This is, what, this is, this is something I, I think I need to say. and it's, it's hard for me to say, but it's just the truth. It's a, tough, it's a tough word. It's not going to be popular. But if we love cable more than the Word, if we love our phones more than the Word, if we love the Internet more than the Word, we have a love problem. We have a love problem, a major love problem. And if the church doesn't awaken to the truth of the Word of God, we have no way to come to victory. And that's just not taking it in. That's 
committing to do all that it says. It's coming to a place where we give up our right to be right. And say, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. Because it's the only way to bring victory. You say, what must I do, Pastor? And I, and I want to tell you, we've been, we've been talking over the weeks about replacing the lie with the truth. We've we got to take the lie of the world, the, the lie of the way of thinking, the lie of shame, the lie of condemnation. And understand that the love of God wants to restore us. Understand that the cross paid for every sin. Understand that God has a plan, a victorious, prosperous plan for everyone who will receive. There's this plan that he has for you, and we need to replace the lie that he doesn't have a plan for me. He doesn't have a love plan for the truth of, if God be for me, who can be against me? Then I've got a plan for you, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, a plan to give you a hope and a future. i got plans that are exceedingly, abundantly above anything you could imagine or think. You see, this, this God that, that, wants, that, that wants to do all that in relationship with you, that wants to give you wisdom, the starting place is receiving what he did at the cross. But the ending place is to know the word and to commit to do it. And so I should, be, I should really be awakened to the word of God. And so as your pastor, I'm not finished with these what must we do yet? But I'm just going to start with this. I've got to repent too. And I'm not just speaking to you. When I first got saved in 1988, I read the New Testament three times in 30 days. I don't have that kind of passion. And I didn't stop. I mean, that, that's just, uh, just what I know. I mean, I, I remember. I mean, there, uh, there was a passion for the Word. And what, and what Jesus says about the church is, return to your first love. There's a, there's a place where we've got to know the Word. The reason we're making mistakes and we're not effective is because we don't know the Word or the power of God. The church has got to awaken to that. We've got to replace the lie with the truth. We've got to replace confusion with wisdom. We've got to replace worldly thinking with kingdom thinking. We have to replace fleshly reactions with spirit-led action. We've got to commit to follow the word before the fight starts. We've got to commit to be changed by the word of God. I won't allow the word of God to change me. I won't stand on it no matter what I see. <laughs> In Hebrews, it says this, this hope that we have, it's not about what you can see. <laughs> see, we, we, we really want to see all this stuff happening and and, and what the Word says is hope is what you can't see. You hope for what you can't see. And we, we hope for what we don't see, the promises that are, that are promised in the Word of God. If they're not happening, we constantly have a hope and release that hope on those words. So we replace flesh, fleshly reactions with spirit-led reactions. We commit to follow the word before the fight. We commit to be changed by the word. We commit to follow God's plan to take background. But most of all, and what, what this whole book is written to be about, 
is that we be transformed into the image of Christ. That we be committed to be like Jesus. That we love like God. That the kindness of God would, would be shown to the world through us. That we would be patient. That we would not compromise. That we would have no fellowship with darkness. Although we understand that Christ died for all darkness. So that no one should perish, but everybody have everlasting life. What a balance, isn't it? Something that we can't do on our own. But what we can do What the church must do is get a passion for the Word. Repent and return. Repent and return. This is how you know you love me. That you do what is written. Not out of religion, but out of love. I love you, God. I want to know you, and I want to, I want to do how you created things to be done. Father, that's who we are. I, I know that nobody sticks around this church long that doesn't have that heart. I know that to be the case. I also know, God, that we're nowhere close to where you want us to be. And this place is going to be a place, God, that is committed to your work. We're going to come alongside each other. We're going to fight for one another. And how we're going to fight, God, is that we're going to hope in the promises of God. We're going to hope and put our faith and trust in what you've said. We're going to hope that your word is going to do what you sent it to do. And Father, we're going to we're going we're gonna to discern and know it. We're going to not be led astray by every wind of doctrine. We're going to be able to know it so well that we know false teaching. And we're going to stand on your word. So, Father, I thank you for success. I thank you for a renewed passion in your word. I thank you for a group of people, Lord, who... Who pursue you and and God I, I just I just ask that that we be sober minded in our pursuit of you that we'd be honest am I in the word do I long for the word is it the most important thing in my life do I really believe that that's the only way victory comes do I really believe that's how I fight my fights do I really believe that that when my back's to the wall, if I don't know the word, I have word I have any way of coming out healthy. Do I really believe I, I'm able to be caught off guard and, and blindsided and, and recover? Only by your grace and by your supernatural rescue. But that's not how you designed it, God. You designed it to give me a heads up. You designed it this way. This is the word. This is the way. Walk, walk ye in it. So, Father, I just ask that, that our hearts and our posture before you would be such that we know your word 
and the power of God. And we believe it in Jesus' name. Amen.